Aloha, frivolous gravitas faithful. Welcome to the show. You're listening to the semi-centenary episode of this podcast, episode number 50, that is, with myself, Christopher Driver, and the man who puts the yellow hat in Curious George, the ever-curious scholar, Mr. Jordan Roy. What? (laughs) The yellow hat is more of a safety reference, as that's the topic of our show, but I also wanted to throw a Curious George reference in. We are pretty curious. Yeah. Shout out. (laughs) So today, uh, as I alluded to, we're going to be discussing uh, issues of safety and the mentality and the value of safety as we place it in uh, in commonplace today, uh, common practice, I should say. That is with regard and with respect to parenting, um, sports, workplace safety. General exploration. General expor- exploration, yes. Um, and... This is something that Jordan's actually mentioned a few times on the show, uh, his revulsion or repulsion, I'm not sure which, to uh, the idea of, you know, safe, the safe method being better or the safe approach being the best approach, uh, as opposed to the more dangerous or risky that might reap greater rewards, both intellectually speaking, as well as quality of life and vitality, yada, yada, yada. So with that, Maybe I will, uh, I'll, I'll hand the mic over to Jordan and he can give us an idea and just uh, summarize sort of his, uh, his feelings and effect, affect towards the idea of safety in a culture that, uh, that sort of clings to safety like a, a bed blanket or a, a nappy. No, that's a good, that's a really good, um, that's a really good uh, use of imagery there because it is kind of like, no, this is the thing that keeps me safe. You're, uh, teething blanket or oh man i can't remember what they call it either um what blankies no the blankie that you keep with you as a kid yeah blankie safety blanket and makes you feel safe um but i think it's also a good metaphor because you know it makes you feel safe you you have this like you feel relaxed around it but in reality it doesn't actually do anything to save you from anything except maybe you know, cold because it's a blanket. Um, so, <clears throat> but it's a it's it's essentially a totem uh, or a, or a fetish that allows you to um, not like that uh, that acts as kind of places a spell on you, but the spell doesn't really have any actual real world world value, but it does make you act as if you're safe. Now, now, that's a particularly good use of imagery. Yeah. So. The now just because I'm using the word safety doesn't mean I'm not saying okay we should always be unsafe you know if you go climbing if you go uh, you know you need the harnesses you need proper techniques you need to hold the rope a certain way you know there's precaution and there's safety um, there's and when they show you why it's like here's why we do this okay yeah because fall equals no more climbing or when you're driving cars are extremely dangerous and um if you don't have a seatbelt, well it's like it makes sense to wear a seatbelt because of what could happen but it doesn't actually take away much away from the driving same with an airbag or anything like that now it can get out of hand because this is a natural human well let's let's not let's not get out of that let's not go there yet so yeah i have taken 
safety is a bit of a slur because in modern days, we seem to be worried about safety more and more and more and more and more. And it's not, not modern as in like contemporary 20th, 21st century, 20th century stuff. Although it has been exacerbated, this is not a new thing. Um, this, this reliance or this obsession with safety, which I've seen, and it's goes back as far as you want to go. You can see it in ancient Rome, people wanting to, you know, save me from the barbarians, save me from this, save me from, I don't know, Pompeii or something. I don't know, not the... Well, just look at how many gods they prayed to. (laughs) Well, they had one for everything. If you're going to travel with your second stepchild, there's a separate god for it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, those gods weren't very forgiving either. It's like if you try and, you know, play it safe, the gods aren't going to reward you. They rewarded uh, heroes that pushed the bounds and they rewarded, but they did. But if you push too many bounds, also you got, um, you know, horrible yeah summarily massacred <laughs> wow or like oh wow that's a neat thing that you had pretensions towards godhood wow it's a shame too bad you have to suffer for eternity uh, <laughs> but which sucks but so i guess in my rambling what i've seen happen is that safety itself has become kind of a a, a value it's a it's a virtue in society and i don't see this at all i see safety as a thing that needs to be taken into account when you're doing stuff like walk up the stairs but don't walk uh don't like i don't know take a bicycle down the stairs or something yeah sensibility and stupidity kind of factor in right yeah so a lot of times i see people take and i've seen this throughout all my life and it's just in mundane things uh there was one guy i worked with who would saw safety as a value above all others because if you're dead you know you don't get to live anymore if you get hurt you're going to lose those abilities it's like well yes so but what he would do is you know when it was icy outside he would be like going out to throw stuff out and he would walk at a snail's pace picking every step like as carefully as possible it's like because you never know it's like well of course i never know but he would restrict himself to such a point that it became a bit of a burden and I see this more and more and more to the point where it becomes a bit unnecessary. Uh, and the reason I don't like it is because it places, if we create safety itself as a value, it's not the safety itself, it's you're putting survival ahead of anything else. And I wish I, I can't, for some reason, I'm drawing blanks on examples of this, these unnecessary safety. I can draw for you. Yeah, please do. And so what happens is you're putting safety as the highest value rather than not safety, but survival as the highest value. Now, survival is what, you know, it's literally what you need. It's not what you need. It's um, just existing for the sake of existing, which is good because you need to exist to do anything else. But existence itself requires you to actually put energy in and to work in a system where you don't know what's going to happen next. You can't predict the future in any way. So there's, you need to be doing some element of uh, risky behavior in order to, you know, advance in life. We'll get it more into this, but what this means is you need to put other values up there 
with survival. You need to put meaning, you need to put community, family, you need to put reproduction, you need to put um, uh, your synthesis with the with your various uh, groups that you belong to, you know, the country, uh, your friend groups, all that you need to put. Um, oh, I don't know, just all these little things that values that make up our life are equally as necessary as uh, survival. In fact, sometimes we place survival uh, very low on this. Um, the Huns are coming over the border. Well, what do you have to do? Well, you're not going to survive. I'm sorry. But your lack of safety and disregard for safety will put the survival of others um, ahead of yours. And we see this now uh, with first responders. We see this with um, our veterans, uh, our police officers, uh, medic, uh, what do you call them? Paramedics. They all are putting their safety completely and 100% aside to go into uh, an apartment. Oh, someone's got a heart attack in there. Well, someone had technical a heart correction, not 100% aside, just a lot of it. Yeah. yeah, but you, you, someone has a heart attack in an apartment. You have to go into the apartment. You don't know what's going to be in there. It could be, uh, you know, the person with the heart attack could be having a heart attack, but the there could be someone in there with schizophrenia that you don't know how they're going to act. There could be really messy and there could be just mold everywhere and you have to go in there and broken needles in. or feces or something. Yeah, like you don't have the luxury of playing it safe. You have to go get that guy. Might even be able to ask him, like, could you clear some of this stuff away? Will I help this person? But there's, this is a good example of a job that really you have to disregard your personal safety in order to make the job happen. And this goes, this isn't just, oh, well, I'm not a paramedic. I'm not this or that. Well, no, but you are a human. And this, now I'm kind of describing this thing but i i see it a lot as a it, it pervades every aspect of our life and right now there's a lot of things happening that i see that i don't really really don't like in um in society that really mirror things that happened in other societies that really did end badly um and so a preoccupation with safety is usually not a good sign for a society. But you mean like pathological preoccupation with safety, right? Where it's yes. like the all encompassing thought before you do every action and deed is just right. like this over metic overly uh, exaggerated, meticulous, sort of repetitive. Well, I guess, yeah, pathological. It's a mental illness, basically, an anxiety yeah. disorder, that type right. of security. Because you see stuff like, well, with children, well, when I was, when we were kids, we would just take a bike and just yeet ourselves off into the city to go explore and that gave us a lot of lessons we broke we got bloody elbows we got into fights uh you know come home with scrapes and bruises with a giant grin on her face it's like i was heroic today what yeah. did you do i found a hill and then i went up to the top of the hill and then i rode my bike down as fast as i could and then i did it three more times because then i hit awesome. a rock and then i hit a rock and i hurt my side so i kind of came home but i found another hill <laughs> It's like this happens mm -hmm. and so what we ended up doing or was we'd go and we'd 
put safety aside to experience life a bit because we were children and we had that definite thing but like when they're there that's putting safety aside because we're making a calculation we're making a risk assessment is this risk worth it and we, you know when you're a kid you're like yeah when you're older you're a bit more cautious but at the same time is there's there's definitely that pathological thing like well you can't be too careful which is a lie <laughs> because you know you're you're playing hockey you put you got to put your your you've got to put your um your helmet on now i'm really bad for wearing a helmet when i'm biking i'm that's probably something i should do with regard to safety but i just don't now i've fallen off my bike numerous times i have this scar here which you can't see which is really neat but um and a bunch of others from falling off my bike but i still don't wear a helmet so i there are certain things about me which are a bit stubborn so let's just take that into account when we listen to me so that's just a bit of a but at the same time like it is probably best to wear a helmet during biking or during playing hockey because these are precautions and this is kind of what i want to make distinction with is that there's a difference between us between safety well, we need safety we need everything to be safe and a precaution and a precaution is something that you would necessarily take and i'm kind of setting it up and changing the word here a bit because any safety procedure is a precaution but a precaution is wearing your seatbelt. it's where it's wearing your equipment during a hockey game it's wearing shin pads during a soccer game because well you know, shin we get kicked in the shin it's no everyone everyone understands what i'm talking about um so you mean like doing a small thing that has a big effect like wearing yeah. a helmet is it takes half a second to put it on but it has a huge effect in preventing brain damage for instance yeah something that actually does have produce safe uh effects so but again is it as necessary if you're only going 13 seconds away like if your friend lives five houses down and you're jumping on your bike do you really need a helmet to get to your friend's place i mean yeah you could fall well this is a good example of but, this is a good thought actually let's take this pretty further than it needs to go because it's a good thought analysis so on one hand you might say obviously not you're not going to get hit but then someone might say who's got that pathological thought process going is might say something like uh well you never know and i friggin hate this sorry about my french <laughs> but it's you know you never know because you the reason i don't like it is because it's a appeal to the hypothetical and i you're you're saying well you never know it's like oh, of course you never know i could get hit by a plane in the middle of this broadcast i like so am i gonna armor my roof and you know reinforce the structure of my house no it's like am i gonna wear bumpers all the time because i could get hit by a bus cleaning off because someone forgot to fill a a tire properly and the bus did kind of a whirly you know i don't know thing and did some fast and the furious stuff right onto my head it's like no i'm not gonna worry about that if it happens it happens if i'm dead i don't have to worry about it but i would rather be alive 100 percent 10 out of 10 uh well maybe 9 out of 10 i can think of some dark futures but the 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 majority of those things won't happen and so putting me putting my helmet on to go to you know my friend ricky's house who i'm completely making up right now uh you know five blocks away i really don't need it 
because, well, that's going to protect my head if I get into a certain type of minor accident. Um, kind of like body armor. You wear body armor if you could get shot. It's not going to save your life, but you do it. And it's it, it doesn't work after the first bullet either. So if they have an automatic weapon, this doesn't mean ban semi-automatic weapons, but, but uh, it, it loses effectiveness after every round. And so I could also get picked up by people uh, and kidnapped and sold into slavery in Mexico or something. I could get... Um, what you're getting at is the measured approach though, right? Yeah. So there's a measured approach. What do I need to do to stay safe? Now, certain things are more dangerous than others. Going to Ricky's place is not dangerous, especially in our society. I was noting the other day that it don't, isn't it nice to live in a place where we don't have air raid siren infrastructure built into our cities? That's pretty cool. <laughs> and so we don't really have to worry about like people just coming over our thing, bombing our city. So we don't need to build stacks with sirens on them to go. So test them every year. Yeah. <laughs> So this pretty cool, like, and what I'm seeing of it is, is that all the safety is a result of fear, fear that, you know, you, you have a pathological fear. You're neurotic about little Timmy getting abducted. Your kid did this. Now I understand this a lot. Um, what happens if my cat goes out and could hit by a car and you get that stress. Oh, I don't want a dead cat because I love them. And so it's multiplied if you have kids by like three orders of magnitude. So you worry about your kids. I want my kids to have the best future they can. Well, guess what? It's pretty random. You can do your best, but a lot of what's going to happen with that kid's upbringing is going to be out of your control. And you can, you can kind of nudge the ship, but you can't steer it. Uh, because there's just so many inputs going into that kid like and you can't monitor them all like what happens if they accidentally watch an episode of south park or something oh no they're gonna start swearing and then they're gonna start doing drugs and then they're gonna form a gang it's like maybe they'll just have different maybe they'll turn into amateur filmmakers and become the next kevin smith or something like oh that's no idea i'd rather them join a gang <laughs> <laughs> like tarantino Which if that's more your flavor yeah, that'd be better. I, I don't want someone cheering for the Oilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kevin Smith. Yeah, sorry, he's been. A... I think he was a Rangers fan, wasn't he? No, he kept wearing Oilers jerseys. Oh, he's a meme, anyways. So, <laughs> but uh, but he's... I guess sort of what I was getting to is there there is a gray area because at some point between being five seconds away and not needing a helmet, as is my proclivity. Mm -hmm. um, to biking downtown, which takes about you know twenty minutes, half an hour, or whatever, yeah. I would say definitely have to wear a helmet, especially if you're doing it during a commute. But others might say, well, if you go to your friend's house three times a day, and then it accumulates over all the days, how much time you've been sitting on your bike, you know what I mean? Like there are arguments that uh, insane people make <laughs> to justify the, their irrational um, beliefs of horror. <laughs> yeah, and these do come from a place of that and you do have like that measured response needs to be calculated but you have to be you can and i, th I see a lot of people just erring on the side of caution which is okay for some situations but everything is situational and if you're placing survival as the thing as the highest value in any situation rather than you know um 
grace or goodliness or meaning or friendship or friendship is magic people i don't know where i heard that <laughs> probably a magic school bus <laughs> yeah it's magic school bus and so um yeah the uh the friend the treasure was the friends we made along the way but you you have to take into what's what's going to take is that going to take away from the thing i'm trying to achieve so you go to dinner with somebody and you kind of like walk slowly and you're always you you know checking out for things people are going to think you're weird because everyone's like this place is safe and if it's not we'll deal with it but you can chill and so if you're worried and about survival then you're not going to be worrying about other things and this is comes you know you have this very neurotic but it comes from a place of fear and i kind of want to explore that place a bit more before i get into kind of the historical thing because you're afraid of these things and you kind of have to just let it go and this goes to my i guess a bit to my trust episode which is going to be very uh akin to this one's these two episodes are going to be very complimentary because you kind of have to trust that things will turn out okay. And if they don't, then you can trust yourself that you'll be able to deal with it. It's kind of what I do is just say, well, if the worst happens, then I'll have to deal with that. But the worst isn't probably going to happen. Something stupid is probably going to happen. You know, like my boss being late instead of me getting hit by a car or me losing my job. It's that's not that's the worst that could happen because it has the gravest consequences but what's probably going to happen is my boss is sick the meeting's going to be rescheduled tomorrow honestly the worst that could happen is probably the meeting happens <laughs> but especially so, if it's on zoom yeah <laughs> so what you want to be realistic and a lot of time efforts on safety aren't realistic we are going to curb carbon emissions 100 percent by 2030 really so am I not allowed to breathe? <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, there was a skit on this hour's 22 minutes where, you know, Rick Mercer's like wearing these masks that, you know, collect all our breathing apparatus because uh, we want to get rid of carbon emissions. So we have to wear these masks now uh, that anyway, it's an old skit. I don't think anyone's going to remember that one. No, but they'll look for it now. <laughs> <laughs> so, what you end up getting is that this pathological you can't really argue against it though which is my problem because if you argue against it uh you know uh kids aren't allowed to play in the street well, kids have eyes if they're young like no i'm not gonna put like well he doesn't know how to walk well put him on the street it'll learn how to deal with cars <laughs> okay that's not a good you didn't do a good calculation in your head there because <laughs> You know, kids can't run out of the, uh, someone crawling can't run out of the way of a Ford F-152. But practically speaking, as a person who was once a kid, when I saw a car and I was playing in the streets, we moved. Yeah. Well, that's and you, have. you make a sound so that everybody else moves too in case they didn't hear it. And if somebody yells car, you just move whether you see the car or not. Yeah. <laughs> there are certain things kids can be trusted with and like not getting hit by stuff. They hate getting hit by stuff. They move. <laughs> yeah. And so you tell them it's just like someone has to work out, watch out for a car. And if they say they're probably going to say something more like, yeah, obviously, because yeah, exactly the kid will look at you like, are you an idiot? Like, it's not even a safety issue. It's just common sense. <laughs> right. And so 
if I say, well, no, kids shouldn't, they say, well, kids could get hit by a car. And they say like, well, if you're against it, you must be for kids getting hit by cars. It's like, well, I can't argue against that. There's either, if I argue against it, either I'm being reckless or callous or immoral. And so I can't argue against that. And so what happens is you get kids having to wear full combat gear to play hockey on the street when on a not busy street or they're not allowed to leave their lawns or they're not allowed to play in their front lawns i don't know what's going on with these with now but well because the ball could roll on the street and then they get hit by a car because blah 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 it's like well yeah they could also get cancer but (laughs) that doesn't mean i'm going to stop their life and so what now i sound like i'm being i'm being callous but what i'm actually arguing for is anti-fragility and to some extent this sounds like an argument from the right saying well you know kids need to be beaten up constantly in order to gain a calloused skin it's like no i'm not arguing that and you gotta rub them with sandpaper a little bit that's all yeah (laughs) oh you got a cut that's not a cut this is a cut sandpaper (laughs) it's like oh dad i meant metaphorically you don't want to hurt them by injuring them but you just rub them with sandpaper so they know like what hurt feels like and they don't want to get hurt anymore when you kind of have to let your kids get bloody noses and then when they get it it's like well can you well oh no they got a bloody nose and that's the that's the response you don't want in you well you don't want your kid to be hurt but you kind of you kind of do though yeah because then they're like okay how are we going to treat this and you can do them you can do the thing where you know put a band-aid on and yeah, then just the or you can get them to put their own band-aid on and get them to sanitize their wound and then they're like you know now go show your mom what you did mom mom look look i treated my own cut Mm. kiss it better you know when you're six you want your mom to kiss it better but there's a a point where your quality of life is being affected by this and this like insurance of safety you know Mm -hmm. and the premium you're paying is the life that you're trying to preserve so like in trying to extend your life well what's the point of having a long life well it's quality of life well if you're minimizing the quality of your life then you're basically putting yourself in jail for no reason yeah like i can guarantee you live forever but you have you can't leave this room or you have to stand and you can't use your feet or something it's just yeah. like gone okay that doesn't mean i'm suicidal internet am i even allowed to use that word on youtube whatever it's safety so <laughs> well censorship does get into this but what hugely yeah and but this comes up in now we can definitely get into censorship with my next point is that this has happened in history we've taken ourselves as humanity and become absolutely and utterly neurotic about it and just ran with it and made it a policy and this has happened multiple times in history save me from the barbarians or save me from this and we can see this in um the, the most obvious example is nazi germany where safety was the name of the game we're doing this for the safety of the german people we're doing this and that and everything was for safety uh i found one poster while i was researching this that said like don't trust jews they spread typhus it's just like oh geez that's bold claim um bump your toe and it's like oh the jews did this it's so stupid it's funny but um yeah you the jews spread typhus and you know the 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 capitalists do this nazi uh the soviet union was um if you read um gulag he brings up that a lot of the stuff that he was subjected to 
were for his own safety and so for his own for the safety of the people of the soviet union and blah 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 and that's what china's doing with their surveillance state right now where they're logging everybody's activities and their credit worthiness and you know whether they're good upstanding communist party citizens the social credit system is a definite uh, it's for the safety of the people that's how they justify it yeah it's for the safety well can't i be can think can i be uh you're reading my notes here, man. <laughs> but can't I be in charge of my own safety? And the answer from China is no, you can't be because the, the government is treating you like a child over there. That's paternal government at its, at its worst. And so they're saying, well, for your own safety, you're being tear gassed. For your own safety, no masks allowed uh, during the protest. That's not a COVID thing. That's a uh, Hong Kong thing. You see they got headbands on the kids now to make sure they're paying attention and then they log the kids when they like lose attention and yeah. then they pay special focus to them and stuff like it's insane how how intrusive their methods are. Well, and that gets down to that safety versus freedom thing that I that I think we might get to more a bit later but you have I have I want to have the ability to make that own calculation for my own life cuz like as a parent I'd probably be better able to decide what's safe for my children better than a government in Ottawa or, you know, across town in Edmonton or in the UN building in New York or something. And so I can make that decision based on what I know of the variables uh, better than anybody. Um, Now this did manifest before we get into it, because I kind of do want to focus on China a bit more. But one thing I do want to bring up is um, one particular government uh, which is just wonderfully named, the Committee of Public Safety, which was the revolutionary government of the French, uh, was the provisional government of the French Revolution. And they literally called themselves the Committee of Public Safety. And so they were trying to set up a scientific state um, based on, uh, I guess, what would you call this? The radicalized version of John Locke taken to an extreme filtered through Thomas Paine's raving nonsense and okay Thomas Paine's still worth reading though even though he's raving and radical uh but as a more of a historical thing but what they ended up doing was taking it and claiming everything was scientific well this is a scientific way to run a society this is this is uh, an enlightened way of running a society. Now put your head in the guillotine. <laughs> and so for the, in the name of safety, they lopped off like 48,000 heads and um, started what they would later call le terreur, the literal reign of terror. Um, anybody associated with the church or was seen to have, uh, you know, you call that uh monarchist ties or ties to foreign governments or just they didn't like you and were denounced you because you know generally what happens when people gets denounced it's like i want that guy's land or i want that guy's bakery she's a witch she's a witch (laughs) they're a revolutionary burn them and so you know they got their heads chopped off and literally uh would and it was literally eating its own it's like Um, commies and uh, mccarthyism too some guy doesn't like his neighbor he just rats him out as a communist (laughs) it's exactly yeah it's it's exactly the same this was like this is like soviet union uh like version 
it's like the beta <laughs> north and, korea 1.0 yeah so you get this terror led by you know robespierre and whatnot um and what they did in the name of safety this is for the safety of the french people this is we're, we're doing this and they get a lot of stuff uh we're we're making everyone equal to so that they're safer from the depredations of the boogeyman and the boogeyman here was um Repu not republicanism um monarchism uh, but the boogeyman later on would be revolutionaryism the, the the boogeyman would be jews the boogeyman would be capitalists the boogeyman would be uh well communists and mccarthyism uh whatever it is we need to keep people safe and i know how to do it and so we're gonna go to the extreme because it's extreme and this is the same mentality as you know again i'm bringing this up and i might be you might think I'm being hyperbolic, but we have a vision zero here in Edmonton where they say they want to bring, you know, traffic deaths down to nothing. That's not going to happen. You know, you can't, you, you, you can outlaw drinking. Okay. Now we can have drinking and driving be outlawed. Okay. It's for safety. Okay. Now you're going to curb the freedom of people to drink. Okay. Alcohol is humanity's friend. Um, if you get that reference, five stars. <laughs> I, I missed that you. one. Well, it's from Legend of Galactic Heroes. Oh. Me and Megan are rewatching it right now. You can't get rid of alcohol. Alcohol is humanity's friend. Watch that actually. It's really good. It actually does touch on some of the topics we talk about a lot. But um we But I th I think the traffic one's a really good one. If you don't mind, we just like yeah, on it a little bit. It's an extreme example that seems benign because it's about traffic safety. It, but traffic gonna... itself is brilliant because the fact every single sign you see on the road, like five of them on every block, is like mm -hmm. a speed limit, a stop sign, a yield. There's lane lines, like all of these rules are in place to prevent car accidents. So there is a very real danger of like there's a real threat that they're trying to, to yeah. curb here. And sometimes I do like them. The signage in Edmonton is absolutely atrocious. I have no idea yeah. where I am at the time. So I, I need to like memorize it. And so it's be like, turn left. And it's like, there hasn't been a left turn for five kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> the way to turn left is by turning right first. Oh, there is a few of those. And it's just like, yeah. where am I going? And like the signage is bad, but we do good signage. But I, the I'm fact that they exist is an acknowledgement of the insecurity and the safety risks just like inherent to driving itself. Like yeah. whether or not we were moving around one ton vehicles with like tanks of combustibles inside of them, even if it was just our bodies moving that fast, hitting somebody would still be very uh, traumatizing, let's say the least. Right. And we do give up other things to have those signs up. So we, we recognize that um, traffic safety is more beneficial than public beauty. Traffic signs aren't pretty. You can't convince mm. me of that. Well, there's a beauty within them. Screw your postmodernist <laughs> nonsense and your critique of beauty. Go watch my beauty episode. But we are giving it up to, um, in order to have traffic safety. Now, traffic is probably the leading killer of humanity for the last, it's gotten better. Um, with even with cars, uh, with horse-drawn carriages, it was actually worse. There were more accidents because your engine would just decide to do something randomly if it was hungry. Yeah. So it's and then seatbelts and then 
and then all this stuff has come in to you know procedures training kids when they when they're about to start driving um so that they know so that they have some experience not letting them you know drive um so there's all, like the extreme safety like having people all drive on the same side of the road like on the right side so that they pass each other when they're driving towards each other yeah like, that's a really good and legitimate approach to being safe while driving yeah but and where is there that gray area like we were talking about with the helmet with how far you're going from home oh. where where is it okay because at some point they started building pedestrian bridges that nobody uses yeah <laughs> i like those <laughs> i thought that was a good idea because they kept traffic going and pedestrians can get up but yeah woke up with for stairs, the price it's like, though it, it's not even close to no. like rational for the no. price of a pedestrian, except in places where you've got like a, a bus station where like hundreds of thousands of people cross it. Like yeah. That's totally you, different. Because then you'll just be pressing the pedestrian walk sign every, that's yeah. not even a safety issue. Edmonton's well, got some just walking paths though, from like one suburb to the other and nobody uses them no. to like cross the- I've seen, I've seen those and you, it makes it harder to get into the, the, the subdivisions with your car. And, but No, they're just expensive. Like they're pointless. Nobody's- but, I think one of the lines is, um, I was going to say, one of the lines is, um, it, well, we can actually do a study. And this is kind of where the freedom thing actually comes in. But the first of it is you're going to get neurotic people always doing this anyways, where you mentioned that like someone could carry, there's a gasoline truck, gasoline trucks could explode. So you like, you're thinking beyond, um, you're thinking into black swan territory. I keep bringing up um, Nassim Taleb, but this is a lot of what we're talking about here. And so you have a black swan event, like a tanker exploding at a stoplight at, during rush hour, people are going to die. You don't want to be that person to die. You don't want your kids to be that person to die. You don't want to be their friends to be that person to die. Uh, and so you want your life to go on as it is without having a black swan event affect it as such. Um, now this is not healthy thought because first of all, that's going to not going to be likely. And if you're worrying about that, you're using up energy on stuff that you could be worrying about, like say that project do at work. Uh, now when you're tired, your brain naturally will do, do some of these things. Your brain will unnaturally think about, uh, do risk analysis of situations. Sometimes when you're really tired, it becomes even stupider. It's like, I get attacked by pterodactyls. Wait, no, I need to go to bed. But <laughs> your brain will be looking for scenarios where you could be possibly put at risk. This is a natural human thing, living in a forest with predators. Like Totally useful too. It's useful, but you need to be aware of it like any of your other, you know, in, ingrained software that you have. And so regulating that, tankers can only be transporting dangerous goods even marginally flammable at night when there's less people on the fewer people on the road <clears throat> doesn't actually make sense because now you're increasing the price of anything combustible so uh you know fuel goes up propane goes up natural gas goes up uh i don't know whatever fireworks goes up my ammo goes up well the risk of catastrophe is multiplied too because you'll have more tankers driving at the same time <laughs> right you don't under yeah you don't think about what your changes would create because every change creates different variables for you mm -hmm. to do like like uh, you put on a helmet that helmet could strangle you <laughs> but 
there's a low chance of it. There's such a low chance of it that, and there's a higher chance of you, your head hitting the pavement, therefore helmet. Um, it's like uh, you're playing hockey and your helmet could get snagged on someone and you, it rips your neck back and you break your neck. That's probably not going to happen, but there's a good chance that a puck's going to hit you in the head. I'm sorry, Brian Little. Uh, you were a good hockey player. <laughs> but the this is that kind of that risk assessment. When the risk assessment becomes uh, risking about black swans, and it be, kind of becomes this other thing. And the other part of it is, to your question, which I kind of want you to repeat because that was long-winded because I had two parts of answers to that. Well, we've established that there's a gradient of right. rationale or reasonable approaches to uh, to tackling our safety concerns, where some of them are, you do this tiny little thing like buckle up, then you're preventing death and dismemberment and um, you know lifelong damage in a car accident or a fender bender by like X number of times, whatever that number is. Mm -hmm. So everybody's going to have that a different idea of what that gray area is, but it should be some scientific approach to say like, this is reasonable and that's not like insurance companies do it all the time. So why can't we? Well, this is why I advocate for freedom so much because it has to be you that makes that decision. You are losing something by putting on a seatbelt, but it's, it's, it, you're losing mobility. Now ability is important if your car's on fire. It's very important when your car is on fire, but how often has your car caught fire? It only happened to me once and I wasn't in the car. Um, so I'm guessing it's probably not going to happen to any of you guys. Uh, well, technically your car is always on fire when it's on because it's a combustible shut up. So, so what now this kind of brings, I guess, to, you need to be able to make that decision for yourself. And <clears throat> that's kind of where I'm coming from. Now this relies on something else, which I'm going to get to after, but you need to be able to see the variables in your life and make that decision yourself. Now, what's the problem with that is that not everyone is good at that at all. Some people are terrible. You've, we've and all to be met. fair, we don't really teach it to people either, although we should. Risk, risk assessment should be one of those lifetime things that you need to learn in like elementary school or something. Megan would love to hear you say that again. She's <laughs> like, they should teach risk management because that's a lot of what they do in pharmacy. It's like this drug does this. Mm -hmm. but they're 87 so we're not going to give it to them because it's not gonna like we're gonna actually be harming them more so you know they have to do a risk benefit analysis on every time they prescribe something and sometimes it's just like yeah you could probably take some more advil <laughs> but it's sometimes a lot harder than that so yeah, especially that. in medicine though because it's such an imperfect science because everybody's body is different and our chemistry is slightly different like that's yeah. why dosing changes between that's, people stuff is happening on such a small level a level that doesn't even obey the same like a lot of the same physical rules that we do on our level so like the stuff that's intuitive to us is not intuitive on that level and therefore mm. you have to use completely different tools to uh to figure out what's going on. And therefore your risk benefit analysis needs to be a lot better informed. And so I'm not going to regulate what a doctor is going to do with my body. It's the same thing with a haircut. I need to know what's safe to wear in public. I can't just be like, if I got cornrows or something, would that be safe? Probably. Well, be well, okay. Let's, let's, let's take safety to be, it would look stupid. 
it would look stupid on me. <laughs> it would uh, I like cornrows. <laughs> oh no, no, but like it, it would look fine on you, or like, but for me, it would be a it wouldn't be socially safe. And I'm not saying like, well, people would lynch you. It's I would get be like, that's an interesting thing you did with your hair and I'd lose social capital instantly when I walked into a room people wouldn't take me seriously oh you might be surprised I might be surprised but I probably wouldn't be <laughs> so my but sister's like, got dreads like full on right down to her to her ass now she's running works, her own business and everything and doing quotes and estimates and all that like, see this is what this actually fortifies my point because it works for her <laughs> you can tell her I said that but yeah, I will. uh it whatever you like i'm got kind of a style thing going on and if one part doesn't match the whole like if i wore like elton john glasses with everything else and not had elton john everything else it'd be like okay you know some one of these things is not like the others and i would throw off kind of uh some people would be like okay this is being long-winded my point's not getting across So, but it's sort of the reason why I'm just going to poke you a little bit more on it. The reason why I was picking at you is because I think that type of approach of saying it's not safe for me to wear because it's not my style, I think is equivalent to the people who are afraid to do things for no reason. (laughs) The thing is, is that safety is a, safety is a spectrum. No, it, (laughs) safety is a bit of a, it changes like, is it safe to wear, if you're going into a, if, if you're going into, and I'm stretching the definition of safety here, but if you're going into a job interview and you decide that you, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to take a risk and not all risks are good worth taking, but I'm going to go in and just full nudist. I'm going to be the most confident man they've ever seen coming from my clipboard and my everything hanging out and they'll be like no now you're poor <laughs> so we do so part of safety is i guess i i guess what i'm trying to show in these really bad analogies and in my bad choice of arguments here <laughs> is that it's always you're always making this 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 calculation in your head it's not something that only happens with regard to black swan events uh you could trip over the curb so you kind of when you approach a curb, you walk a little differently. Safety, because you want to be safe. But when safety becomes all-encompassing, we don't really think about it. It's just part of what we're always calculating in our head. But when it becomes a constant, it takes over your life to a certain extent. And I think one of the best ones is you know, you get trampoline places and uh, I remember I was at lunch and one of the moms that I was working with said something, oh, we went to a trampoline place and I saw uh, that, you know, people could fall and, you know, you know, people, my kids could get hurt and therefore we're never going back there ever again. It's just like, your kids had fun, right? Oh yeah, they loved it. But you know, what happens if they break an arm? It's like, we can fix arms. <laughs> and so what in my mind is, you know, you, you, you're holding your children back from letting them do anything and you end up getting stuff like, you know, I guess mothers are particularly prone to this and uh, I'm going to get blasted for this, but 
you that nurturing nature can go really far and you get do i want to go here <laughs> you're gonna say that's how dads are complimentary weren't you <laughs> dads are complimentary you do need them i'm i'm citing um warren farrell here um i read that book uh was it though that they came out with recently the boy crisis it was quite good mm-hmm. um and he essentially well, a lot of the book is like here's how to not make men kill themselves um <laughs> that was like half the book um because suicide is a major risk with men just yeah for like, the listeners i meant not for you. yeah and well in, you in a, well in my household it's going to be doubly so for me to necessitate the safety of that uh message because well, you know there's firearms here there's knives in the kitchen but um but that book keep... was great at articulating the fact that like the way dads play with their kids and i'm not saying all all men i'm just saying yeah. in this book the way it was portrayed is that the dads are showing a safe place to get hurt and how to respond to an injury mm-hmm. as well as you know playing more safely even if you're roughhousing and wrestling and stuff like that when i do see this even with my wife i'll come up with a very like my wife will be like oh you know something needs to be done about these people and i'll be like no they need to they need to deal with that the bed that they slept in and they'll be like well it's so callous it's like you realize that both of us are right right we're both (laughs) arguing from a position that's correct and complementary because part of that is you need the soft and the hard to come together it's it's like a yin and a yang thing man except it is a yin and a yang thing yeah that's why marriage works (laughs) that's why kids are more successful like evolutionarily speaking when parents stay together so you kind of need now the mother's job is to nurture to raise and to do a whole bunch of stuff and the father's job is to fling the kid into the ball pit (laughs) and to teach them discrete skills you know here's and bad jokes yeah bad oh yeah (laughs) here's something you need to hear get this in your notebook for when you have a kid no (laughs) but you know um mowing the lawn there's a you're a meter away from something that could like destroy like wreck your entire day this is flinging blade but you know one of the things my dad's taught me i had numerous fathers and now i have another one uh (laughs) ever since uh was mowing the lawn i hated mowing the lawn it was tedious and loud and annoying and uh mosquitoes mosquito well yeah um and but it was very dangerous because you know what happens to them you know i'm little I, I barely come up to the thing and i'm pushing it like this and i could like fall and it could back up over my head on an incline and you know that's a worry but if once you mow the lawn you get something greater something the sense of accomplishment look at this lawn look at you did look at what you did against all odds against those black swan events that could have happened but you made something happen and now because you've encountered safety you did something interesting and you did something good and when i was young another thing i did was gymnastics which you know everyone's like ooh gymnastics but gymnastics is not a safe sport at all and you actually have to actively fight against some of your safety instincts even my stunted safety instincts were tested because i remember okay you have to walk up you have to climb up use all your energy to get up to the the ceiling and it's just like warehouse ceiling so you know those girders that are at the top like that and like that mm-hmm. and so you have to hang on to it ring the bell because there's a bell up there to tell 
the coach when you actually got up there. So you can't just be like a foot below, just go like, I made it, I'm coming down now. No, you have to reach up and ring the bell. And so I'd ring the bell and then they take the rope away. And then they say, well, get down. You're like, there's what, how do I get down? The only way to get down is let go and fall a certain way onto the mats that are directly underneath you. And so what they did was I had to let go, fall 60 feet onto my back, and then that just sounds uh, like so much fun. <laughs> it, it was. I was told that I almost killed myself. Like uh, terrifying, but fun. Oh, yeah. But you wouldn't be able to do gymnastics without having overcome that fear. And part of it is, you know, you have to maintain a certain like starfish with your legs that you can't like fall like this with your limbs up and they have to be somewhat to the side so that. Because you, you want to spread out the impact, right? Right. And you don't want to land on your the back of your head because you'll break your neck. You don't want to land on anything else. You want to land right in the center of your back because then all if you spread it out, but then it goes straight into the, the thick mats that you're falling on. Even a thick mat can kill you. It's like tell talk to a diver about how hard water is if you hit it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so we do all these things. Not I guess this is that quote, I guess, which kept thinking of is not because they are easy but because they are hard but because there's that element of danger because that if you're handed something it does it's not worth anything if you have to risk something it becomes worth something so those easy victories or uh you get it's like it's not worth anything and i guess part of it is you know the father encourages you I had a couple of fathers and my grandfather was a gymnast and they're all going like, yeah, do the hard thing, run at the thing. And every once in a while I'd screw up and hit something, but they were more proud of me for getting back up. And that was as messed up as my family can be. Sometimes that was one of the healthier things they did for me. And there were some bad ones. I remember one time I'm sprinting towards the vault and I hit the, 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 the springboard wrong. And I smashed my chest full sprint into this pommel horse. So I'm just this vaulting horse. And so this thing like this big just hits me right here with all the force of my legs. And I could have broken every rib in my chest, but luckily I just winded myself and was down for like a minute going, oh, what happened? And I got back up and I did it again. You have to overcome safety to get something done because you can also, once you have something happen to you, a traumatic event, You'll be un, you'll be less willing to get up and step back into the danger, and and this- that to me is really important too. If you don't mind, I, I interject because I, I think you might be glossing over how necessary it is for the danger to be real for somebody to oh, experience yeah. something. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of um, akin to that whole um, our discussion for Remembrance Day about how like you can prepare for war, but nothing prepares you for war. Mm-hmm. Like you can prepare for, um, for heights and dealing with heights, but nothing prepares you like falling. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that practice of not just learning the theory of everything that's safe, but actually doing things that are unsafe, like with the conscious awareness that they are unsafe. Like for example, you used, you used to do a lot of climbing, like free climbing. Oh yeah. And that type of thing is very dangerous. And my balance was never really good enough that I wouldn't go higher than 20 feet or anything like that. Oh but, yeah. I remember being on top of like random things with on one foot being like, Chris, check this out. But that, <laughs> that is supremely stimulating though. As far as like um, cognitive development goes, if, if mm. you want to actually help somebody 
learn something that they learned yesterday and the day before and the week before and the month before, giving them some type of experience that breaks up yesterday from today that is memorable, helps them attach learned lessons to that experience in their life. Do you know what I mean? It's like setting mm -hmm. a bookmark. So like if somebody goes their entire life just ri racing a car in a racetrack and then driving 20K and no faster on the road, they have no idea how to actually respond if, um, if they're a police officer chasing somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you need that practice of actual danger for you to be pro um, efficient or capable or competent at managing actual danger when it does arrive. Mm -hmm. The best because to put yourself in that situation in a in a framed kind of um structured uh yeah, danger it's, it's rather like a than it just being a haphazard like, danger from from nature well you learn about nature by planting a garden and then you go into the you go into nature and maybe collect a few seeds and you plant a garden to see what it is like in isolation it's a weird example a uh, parable i guess but um or allegory or other analogy other, let's yeah, just analogy thank you <laughs> i was just gonna keep going until i hit it <laughs> that was but, pretty um, good though i was impressed uh the um the uh but you don't learn how a forest works by taking it out but you can learn how some of the forest works in a garden oh this is how this plant grows that makes sense because i saw it with these kinds of trees and this blah 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 it's the same with us you ha you can't know how you're going to react because uh well especially with war a lot of things that the theorists always will talk about the theorists. A lot of the people who were actually there say, well, you can't really know how you're going to react and you have to know how your body will react to say, you know, getting rear-ended or driving at 150 kilometers an hour. And if you're too scared to do it, you'll never adapt to it, but you have to know your response. Oh, this is me being this. And you have to, you know, learn to live with it. And you become anti-fragile. The more you encounter it, you become used to, handling that and it almost you almost after a while in certain circumstances you become well i'm numb to the danger it's like oh geez some <laughs> all so much of what we watch is so tailored to people who have never actually been in danger i'm so numb from the danger i've never no being numb to the danger isn't a bad thing and if you under still understand the risks it's like well okay if there's war i guess that's one thing but if you're numb to the danger of uh you know falling in gymnastics then it's just like oh no i'm falling you'll still get the adrenaline kick from falling but you'll be more easy to get back up and you'll be more willing to take risks and the risk is what we want in society and you when you become and here we're probably gonna sound a lot like jordan b peterson but if you get used to not taking risks you're gonna end up you know, you're going to end up being really, you're not going to get far. I keep thinking back to maybe this is what informed me, but that one Star Trek episode where, you know, Q takes him back in time, this immortal God takes him back in time, says, would you like to not get stabbed in the chest during school again? He's like, yeah, that was a stupid thing I did in school. And he comes back and he learns that, you know, he, he, he redoes his past and he learns that that stupid thing he did set the stage for his success later. He learned how to deal with tragedy. He learned how to deal with risk. He learned about himself and he learned that playing it safe doesn't get you anywhere because he ended up being like this, you know, super ultra capable man that we've seen for like six seasons of, uh, 
the show ended up becoming this minor science officer on the same ship. If I can paraphrase though, because we've used that example before. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's such a good episode though, but he, and this happens in your life. So if you don't get used to taking risks, you won't take them and you'll actually not think of ways to taking risks will actually help you formulate other risky plans instead of just looking for, well, how can I survive this situation? And then how can I thrive in this situation? You know, you have that old Simpsons quote, which pertains to that Chinese fable, which says like, you know, crisitunity, every crisis is an opportunity. If you're playing it safe, you won't take or even see that opportunity and you won't be inclined to just jump into it. And so I think resiliency is really important in that too, though. Like what, yeah. what we're doing as a, like the thing that makes us so prolific as a species is our ad- adaptability. And if you mm-hmm. build yourself to be resilient to change, that makes you adaptive, like by definition. So mm-hmm. when you don't practice risk-taking in safer, like managed or intentionally provoked um, cases, like yeah. setting yourself up to, to hang from the thing and then having the rope pulled off from you. Yeah. Those not- types of things actually condition you to be more resilient and therefore better adapted to life. Like it's right. actually good for us. That, yeah. That's my contention. And like they're putting myself in situations that I can control where, you know, if I don't control it well, I could die or get severely right. hurt. But you can And it's too stupid, late to you, practice when you're when you're gonna die on the first try. <laughs> right. And so you might as well get strong. And so that when you have because there might be some time in your life where you will have to be strong. And it could be something really stupid like, Oh no, you've got a kid, now you have to be strong for the rest of your life. But you don't want to put yourself in stupid situations like playing Russian roulette. That's dumb. Mm-hmm. That's just like, well, no, but it's not I'm a safety with, issue. <laughs> this is not a safety issue. This is a you need help issue from a psychiatrist. Uh, it's like you're intentionally putting yourself in too much risk. And that is usually that like that's, And for no benefit. You gain mm-hmm. nothing from surviving a game of Russian roulette. Yeah. Uh, well, unless you like really have nothing to lose and you gain a lot of money. I, I don't know. You know, it's <laughs> no, that's not a risk I'm willing to take because now what I'm being cast as, and this, this episode will make me look like is someone who is playing Russian roulette with my life. And that's not it at all. I see that as a mental, um, someone who needs psychological help, but I'm not jaded. I'm not, um, I'm not unhappy. I'm oh, you're just trying to kill yourself. It's like, no, I'm actually living quite a charmed life. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, um, I'm grateful for it every day, but there's a difference between taking risks and being suicidal. And I do value life. That doesn't just because I like risks doesn't mean I don't value life. Well, what happens, you know, when the tragedy, what happens when there's a tragedy? Well, that's, it's tragic, but it's also not my responsibility to manage the safety of others. And I think I keep getting into that, but I I, want to get into that later. What I want to make the point is, I keep threatening to get onto uh, institutional safety, but it's, I guess for, sorry about this. You guys love hearing me go, I'm sure. (laughs) So 
one of the things that ends up doing when you become adverse to risk, physical risk, but there's also mental risk that a lot of people don't really pay attention to much. And I remember seeing this in my university degree is I was willing to just go and play Russian roulette with my ideas. Um, I'd go into class and argue um, stuff that would not make me friends. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say stuff like, you know, racist stuff, but I would say well, stuff that other people thought was racist. You just challenge ideas. I would challenge ideas in a way that with ideas that people wouldn't like or think that would make them uncomfortable because I didn't care about being uncomfortable in class because I knew class would be over. Class didn't matter. This wasn't the grand arena. It wasn't some squid game. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't some squid game. Uh, I would have won, by the way. <laughs> but um, the God, that was a good show. Um, but the people became I, I noticed that people were just saying what they could to get to the end of class without making any waves in the thing. And I was sitting there in the pool going because I knew that I, there was nothing for me to lose survival wise or safety wise. Safety was not comfortable. It's just uncomfortable. There was nothing. There was no reason for me in a seminar to play it safe at all. Like, I would lose nothing. Oh, no, the, the faculty might talk to me or something about having strange opinions. It's like, now they're going to be, well, I'm going to walk in and make them feel uncomfortable because I'm going to talk about how, you know, I didn't feel like there was anything that they could do to me that would keep me from maybe making a industrialist argument during an echo seminar or something. Now I'm a tree hugger. Everyone knows that, but you know, I'd still argue. It's like, we need to burn more coal because someone could argue it, or I could argue in favor of patriotism during a analysis of Canadian history. And people just didn't like it because they wanted to all do what made everyone else in the class feel safe and comfortable and unchallenged and untriggered. Yeah. And so I'm talking about, um, uh, sorry f uh, for some of my more uh, Christian audiences. I would bring up masturbation in class. Well, why? Well, because it's part of history. <laughs> and um, I remember it was distinctly one time in class. It's just like, we need to talk more about masturbation because it was in the readings and no one was bringing it up. And I was like, we need to talk about this. You know, what did hormone hormonally advanced boys do in 16th century England? Well, you can kind of figure it out, but can we figure about the mores around it? No one wanted to talk about it, but I was just like, I'm not going to lose anything from this. I can only gain from risking my peers' views and, you know, whatever they talk about me behind my back. I don't care. Like, I don't really, it didn't really bother me what they thought because I've seen what they their their ascent wasn't necessary. Your education is a higher purpose than vanity. <laughs> right, exactly. So no matter what it looks like, as long as you're getting the better education. So I didn't play it safe in school. I did a bit, mostly because I was tired and it was just like I could say something, but uh, I only got four hours of sleep last night. So a lot of times I would just, you know, stay off to the side because I was exhausted. But these awkward encounters, so this mental you know, you can be physically anti-fragile, which you should try to be. And as much as you can, 
but you also need to be mentally anti-fragile because your mind is the one controlling your body. Well, your mind and your body are the same thing, but your mind is the thing that's reacting. Oh no, hormones. What do I do? Well, do you fight or flight or do you like problem solve on the spot? What are you going to do? And the more you get used to the adrenaline running through those, those situations, um, I maybe have gone a bit too far. I remember getting cut really badly and there's just blood everywhere running down my arm. I'm like, Megan, could you bring me an elastic band? And she's just like, oh, okay, hold on. She keeps playing her game. I'm like, now, please. She's <laughs> like, are you okay? Are you like, are you in danger or are you hurt? It's like very much so, yes. And I'm just <laughs> way too calm. <laughs> but I and, think I, that's what I've gained as a benefit. I mean, at the cost of all my classmates and teachers' hair, but like as a disruptive student myself, I learned very, very young how to problem solve on the spot and speak for myself, stand up for myself and, mm -hmm. you know, voice my concerns, um, like articulate my a lot better just from being in trouble and having to do self-defense, you know? <laughs> well, you learn what trouble is like, oh, and no, it would be, going. it would be unrealistic for everybody to go through that same childhood experience as us because then no classes would teach anything. We'd just be pure disruptive 24 seven. Right. But well, thanks no to diversity. nature and <laughs> biology and you know, the, the lottery of birth, only some of us turn out this way. And those, some of us, some of us is <laughs> we become, um, we become inspired to do things that others wouldn't otherwise do. Right. You know, like invent new fish hooks, like we were talking about before with the, the old societies, right? Yeah. And or that that's where you get that creativity from is from a novel experience that other people don't have. And you need yeah. that to develop your brain. Right. So if all, if we all learn the same lesson and, you know, we all need to like, that's a, the one thing that diversity thing mm -hmm. that I keep bringing up is that yeah, that's true diversity actually. Yeah. <laughs> we need people to have different become stronger and more anti-fragile in different places and learn different lessons i can't learn every lesson well we're trying to get people right now to understand our lessons or maybe strengthen similar lessons that they've had in their own life but or even just to work through and strengthen our own lessons by talking about it more um which is a lot of what we do here <laughs> thanks guys for listening but uh <laughs> um but, but it's important because in the speech, like in that back and forth, the dialogue, even if we don't change our, our opinions or beliefs, or if, if we, there is no bad, um, like you mentioned before that you had some bad, uh, analogies or whatever. And I, I don't think that's even possible because in this type of forum or discussion, having a bad example is a good example to show of a bad example. Oh, I think you know I just I mean? did it poorly. I took a risk on making that example and it didn't pan out and now you guys had to listen to you know five minutes of but i think that's great going, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what makes a live show like this really yeah. um uh different from a scripted show because anybody can have a scripted lecture or whatever but actually hashing through problems say no this one's good no this one's bad mm -hmm. and challenging them as you go along i think that process itself is what we're not doing when we're when we're doing this uh this flight to security we're not challenging anybody's ideas and we're just taking all of the lectures well, and that's like so harmful and uh, it's especially not, on aggregate like when well, everybody's doing it but even just for one person well and we do risk ending up on a topic where we just talk for five minutes and go oh well i guess that's it and tangent just, cam <laughs> yeah it's just go on a tangent but like we do find that if i take notes beforehand our uh you know when rather than just flying off the cuff if i think about it and actually put some effort into it i'm going to do better uh you guys are going to get a better thing so for me this is safer uh so it, it 
I don't need to just write a script and make sure there's no ambiguity. Oh, there's a word that we need to talk about. I need to um, prepare for the ambiguity to some extent. At the same time, you're not afraid of deviating from the script, though. Oh, not at all. Because I'm actually hoping hoping you'll come up with something um, that I can, that'll challenge or like expand on my point or something that I hadn't thought about. Well, that's but, what I love about talking with you. Like even since we first met is just yeah. like you, you'll pick apart something that I just overlooked because I just assumed it or, or had the presumption or never considered it a different way because I'm not a different person. I'm just yeah. me. And so like talking to you, you challenge it. <laughs> but one of the things I think we need to bring up is ambiguity. And I, I, I hadn't I didn't have this in my notes, mm-hmm. but this is a good example of what we just talked about is because a lot of what you're doing and a lot of the fear happens in the realm of ambiguity. What could happen? The unknown that's coming out. And a lot of that versatility that we were talking about is the ability to adapt to unknown situations. Oh no, there's COVID and you have to think about how to do work differently. Okay. So now instead of freezing or just being like, someone needs to help me, what can I do? Or, um, there was a crash axe, a crash right in front of you and you're going to get to work late. What can you do? Well, think math equations going around your head and all of a sudden, oh, I know that route to go right, get around this. Um, or you could just suck it up and take the, uh, take the loss and say, yeah, sorry, I was late. There was an accident and they don't believe you and whatever. Um, so this ambiguity really does pinhole a lot of us because we do have ideal we have ideal ends to a lot of what we want to do with our life. And if we don't allow for, you know, alternative futures or, you know, things that we don't expect will be, you know, a lot of people just freeze up. They'll just say, no, this isn't what I want. This is, I'm just not safe. I, I don't understand what's going on. I am in a place of chaos right now. And people, a lot of people can't deal with that. And we'll talk more about that. Uh, right after the break and uh yeah see you guys in a sec ciao stay tuned for part two part two